Greetings, my friend. We are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. Episode 449 of the AFTN podcast. I am Joe DC, and this week I am joined by Gideon Hill. Hey, Joe. Hey, Gideon. Um, before you ask, I can answer your question. 449 is a prime number, so make sure you bring your A, a game tonight, okay? You know, I feel like we, we always get the short end of the stick. I don't know if this is a direct shot at Michael, but I feel like we never get the special shows, so <laughs> I, I feel happy to be within one or two numbers of the 450, the 500 what well, have you. So I feel blessed. Yeah. Well, I, I would argue that prime numbers are more special than, you know, 450, 500. But anyway, yeah, we can file a complaint with AFT and HR. Um, and, uh, Is that also Michael? I don't know if that works it, out it, very well. It's actually just a shredder, but um, right. yeah, right. I, I got a tour of the HR office. That's why I know. Um, <laughs> isn't, it is in East Fife. So uh, yeah. Mm, <laughs> anyway. Quite a journey. It is. Um, so, Gideon, fourth game of the season coming up. How do you feel about the team so far this season? Um, I feel good. I think the struggle to score from open play is something feels like a reoccurring dream, to be honest. Um, yeah. Something that we haven't we haven't experienced uh, early on in the season. I think the last time we scored an open play, like in the first bit of the season, was two or three years or seasons ago. So. Very disappointing with that. Um, I'm happy that they've pick, already picked up a win and, and have four points. So like, we'll, we'll get it into the game on, from Sunday. But I just think that creativity is, is sort of lacking right now. And I think that's because of the number 10. But um, I'm glad they scored two against Toronto and one against uh, Portland. Um, and just, I mean, three goals in, in three games isn't, you know, doesn't jump off the page, but it's better than no goals in three games. So I'll take the four points and a decent start to the year for sure. Yeah, the, the four points are definitely good. And it's, it's weird to have a consensus across, um, you know, all different media outlets. Like, everyone's on the same page about what Vancouver's problem is. And it's open play, which kind of ties back to creativity. I think, personally, I would be fine if we scored all of our goals from set pieces, if it meant we made the playoffs, right? I, yes, I think how totally. you the goals is, a, is kind of a detail. But right now, it's at the point where it's a weakness, I guess. Like, the Whitecaps don't look like they know what to do in open play, whereas in a set piece, they can rehearse, I guess, whatever they want to do. Um, so, yeah, it, it's an ongoing problem, and we'll delve into that later, um, as you said. It, probably the Whitecaps' biggest open question now. Gideon, what do you think? Yeah, I, <clears throat> I think it definitely stems from creativity. I mean, as you just alluded to, like, I guess on Sunday, like just briefly how open it was in the first 20 minutes. I don't know if that's the way Colorado set up, but you kind of felt like it was going to favor the Whitecaps in that way, in that game, I should say, in the early going with getting an early goal, but it didn't happen. And it was frustrating watching the end of that, what, 75 minutes after the opening 15, like yeah. what, you know, what's, what's going on? Why isn't, where is this creativity that started in the first 15? So I think it's about consistency. That's my biggest problem is that you start with the win you draw Toronto, a game you probably should have won, except yeah. for the ball in the face. But um, other than that, I think, you know, probably creativity and consistency are the two things that I, I kind of jump off the page um, for me for three games in so far. Yeah, now that you say that, the, the Colorado game was two games in one, the, before the goal and after the goal. Um, 
the, the second game being way more uh, frustrating. Um, j- just a general question, I guess, before we get into details on uh, Montreal coming up and then later on into our Whitecaps preview. Do you think the squad, the Whitecaps squad that's assembled today is a playoff team? I definitely think so. And the reason why is they've built it not just to have star players. Like, let's be honest, I don't think there's a lot of star players in this team, like Ladero, you know, Vela, but they've built well, they've used their money well. And I think they have a player in each position to start and come off the bench. Like theoretically speaking, like they have 11 players to start 11 players to sub on. So yeah. they could have two squads, if that makes sense. So like they're built with depth. And I think we've kind of seen that early on the season where they haven't sputtered losing, not having Adnan, Alessandre, Gashbar, and Usu to start the season where they haven't looked terrible. I mean, they haven't looked, you know, consistent, but um, they're not losing 3-4-0. They're not looking inexperienced. They look like a built team where we haven't seen that in years past with the squad coming together. So, um, yeah. yeah, I think they built really well, like depth-wise, spent the money smartly. Again, still no number 10, but um, I think that's going to be something that will be dealt with by the end of the season, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Yeah, I think one one way to kind of frame that is that this Whitecaps bench would blow the water, blow out of the water any other Whitecaps bench from the last few years, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, that's very, very interesting. Well, before we get into Montreal, we're going to go to our new section this year featuring Caroline. It's this week's MLS Splaining. Okay, welcome to this week's MLS Splaining. I'm once again joined by Caroline. Hi, you got it right this time. I did. <laughs> I'm glad we've settled on a name. It's kind of, the section is coming together. More know. official, feels more official. Exactly, exactly. Um, Caroline, you, you still haven't watched a Whitecaps game this season, right? Like I've watched, you watched <laughs> Whitecaps. Is the segment getting you closer to a place where you would watch the Whitecaps? Because we're just marketing here. That's all we're really That's doing. That's true. That's what That's this, true. this segment is all about. Um, I feel like if I knew the players better. Okay. Maybe that's like, something we can work on. Yeah. I feel like whenever you make me watch any kind of sports documentary yeah, you re- afterwards. You, you really liked um, First Team Juventus on and Netflix. And the Spurs. Yeah. Um, all or Nothing with Spurs. Mm. Yeah. Those like... They add personality, I guess. And I feel like that's what I need Okay. as a woman who has no interest in sports to actually watch the sports. Okay. So more topless men in their prime. Yes. Okay. That's a very important part of gotcha. me watching games. I can, I can sympathize with that. That's fine. Um, okay. So this week, as always, we're going to pick an MLS topic and we're going to discuss it and we're going to kind of get there together. So I'll tell you the term and then we'll see what you think it means and then we'll arrive at what it actually means um you're getting closer and closer that's one thing i do have to say like last week i started explaining it and then you were able to take it the rest of the way right um learning learning as i go yeah by the end of the season you'll be explaining things to me that's the goal (laughs) um anyway so this week uh we asked twitter for some suggestions there was lots of really good suggestions um but stephen kavanagh had one that i thought we should uh look at this week okay um he, he asked us asked you to explain El Trafico. El Trafico. El Trafico. Now, it's not in English. <laughs> Is this because it's Cinco de Mayo? Uh, having a Spanish term? We are recording on Wednesday, I guess. But yeah. Um, it's <laughs> El not Trafico. El Trafico. So like direct translation to English, is that important? Like the traffic? Sure. It's, that's part of how it got its name. Okay. Yeah. yeah. What are you traffic. thinking? So is the is the Spanish part of it a, a clue? It's kind of a pun. Like okay. the traffic part is is a big clue. So let me let me tell the backstory and let's see if you can fill in the gaps. Okay. okay. So one of the biggest games uh, in the world is called El Clasico. It's when Real Madrid mm-hmm. played Barcelona. Barcelona. Yes, I knew that. And quite often. Like uh, like in Germany, they when Bayern Munich play, I think it's Dortmund or is it Schalke? Any when Bayern Munich play a team, they call it Der Klassiker. Like they took their version of they took the name. Yeah. So when there was an MLS team that got created a few years ago, and it's in the same city as another MLS team. Is it LA. It is LA. Traffic? It is. Ah, it, well, there very you go. good. Yeah. So 
they were like, what, we need our version of, <laughs> of El Clasico. And then everyone knows traffic is And terrible. on top of that, if there's a game to get to that yeah, both true. teams want to go to. Yeah. Oh. So El Trafico is when LA Galaxy play LAFC. And that's actually, the Spanish was a hint because there's a lot of Spanish speakers yes. in yeah. LA. Yeah, it works on multiple levels. And, that's very yeah. smart. The, the guy who came up with that must be very proud of himself. I think it actually came from like a Twitter thing. Oh, okay. And then it just took off from there. Hey, the best things come from Twitter sometimes. Not all. And the worst things. And the worst things. Yeah. Let's not, uh, I don't want that to be written. Yeah. Shout out to all of uh, our followers on Twitter in that uh, <laughs> section. So, um, El Trafico, thumbs up or thumbs down? Oh, thumbs up. I think it's my favorite one so far. Very good. Not yeah. just because I've guessed it. Yeah. But because it's creative. Yeah, it's funny. It's witty. It's funny, it's witty, but it also like makes sense. Mm-hmm. But you do need the backstory. Yes, yeah. If I didn't know... Well, it, it works in a way that like... A European soccer fan would definitely know what El Clasico mm-hmm. was. So when they hear El Trafico, they could just like they find you did, it funny. yeah, put it yeah. together themselves, right? Wonder so, if the, the Americans understand the link to the oh, European. Oh, definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. enough it, for sure. I like the way that you tackle like these problems. You know, you think you think of from different angles than a normal fan would. That's what makes <laughs> this kind of interesting. I didn't. I almost said because I'm not a fan. Um, we'll make you a fan. That's, that's <laughs> I the know that point. sounds bad, but I, I, this segment is a long con so that I can watch more soccer. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone knows this. It's so oh fun. Anyway, thank you, Stephen Kavanaugh, for uh, the suggestion this week. And hopefully, throughout the season, we'll get more and more suggestions. Yeah, that was uh, a fun one. Better yeah. than, not better than yours. That's enough, actually. <laughs> <laughs> this is where we uh, yeah. stop the segment. Yeah, and... well, that was this week's uh, MLS planning. Thanks for uh, attending again, Caroline. Anytime. Talk to you next week. Talk to you next week. <laughs> that was this week's MLS explaining. Caroline describing El Trafico. Make sure to uh, go back and listen oh boy. to that. Yeah, I can't wait for that one. <laughs> yeah. um, so, Gideon, um, Montreal, a uh, pretty good start to the season. Five points out of the three games that they've played so far. Um, the first was an emphatic win uh, against Toronto. I think that was probably the result of the opening weekend, at least mm-hmm. the one that caught my eye. Um, followed by a draw, a draw against Nashville and then a draw against Columbus. What do you make of Montreal so far? Well, I was... To, the least, to say the least, surprised by how many goals they scored six in the first two games without Aquanco and uh, Boyan from last year, who really kind of pulled the strings. So I think it's a good start. I think Romel Kyoto's looked like the player he always has been um, from Olympia to Houston, now to Montreal. So I think he's their guy going forward. He's kind of younger. Um, the only thing they are lacking is strong defense. And, and again, a number 10, kind of in the Whitecaps realm of, possibility like they're also looking for a guy that great yes they scored six goals in their first two games but held scoreless against Columbus who are a pretty good opponent um they haven't faced tough opposition yet I feel like Toronto was kind of an easier test given they're losing a lot of body or had were missing a lot of bodies in that game Nashville's kind of still finding their feet so um long story short I, I think I'm happy with how they're playing so far they're a young team but I still think they lack that creativity and the camaraderie and defense yeah, good point. Um, some some kind of key players on their team, uh, just you know, for people who people in the Whitecaps world who might not see them as much as let's say Seattle or Portland. Um, Mason Toy has had a incredible start to the season. I think he scored two identical goals, both like curlers from outside of the box um, to start. Really, really impressive uh, in his two appearances so far. They do have Victor Wanyama of uh, I guess Southampton and. Tottenham fame, uh, I guess. Um, Eric Cretado, familiar face, who, you know, knowing the Whitecaps' luck, will probably score a goal against the Whitecaps. <laughs> he does have an assist so far this season. And don't forget, Whitecaps fans, the most shocking stat you're ever going to hear is Eric Cretado's age. He's 30, Gideon. Eric Cretado is 30. That's nuts. Yeah. It's inc- That's it's, crazy. It really is crazy. Uh, they, they still have Sam, Samuel Piet, uh, so expect a yellow card there. Joel Washerman, <laughs> who's close to our hearts, Gideon. Um, yes. He's played, uh, I think, all three games so far. Um, 
he's appeared. Yeah, I think he's appeared in all three. I don't think he started yet this year, but um, he always comes off the bench. He seems to be a favorite there, so that's awesome to see. Yeah, great for great for Joel. Um, and you know, you could kind of see see it coming based on his performances for uh, TSS Rovers, I guess. Yeah, and I don't know how much we're gonna we're gonna delve into this, but yeah, for for TSS and as well as Trinity Western, it's crazy to say that he came from university what three years ago and then went to Cavalry and and TSS. So it's been a great climb up the ranks. Really great story from a guy from from Aldergrove who no one in Montreal probably knows where that is. So um, <laughs> pretty cool to see him climb up the ranks and, and be almost an MLS starter. He's got a couple assists as well in his career. So. Yeah, um, well, I want to touch on their formation in in a second, uh, Gideon. But just uh, Montreal's a bit a bit more of an over overview, I guess. Last season they made the playoffs, but I think they exited in the first round. So you know, making the playoffs usually means good enough for most teams. Um, but exiting in the first round, I think you you end the season with a bit of disappointment. And then the coaching change in the off season, which came as a surprise. Yeah, I mean, let's let's start in, you know, last year's playoffs. It was a late loss to New England, if my memory serves me correct. I think Gustavo Bowe, the Pantera, uh, scored from about 20, 30 yards out from on the ground. That kind of pulled Diop at the time. So on the road as well. So a, a tough one there, losing that way. And I think that, I think most people knew that Henri wasn't going to stick around. I think that the, the timing was definitely unexpected, how like, he left kind of For close sure. to the season where, yeah, they kind of, through you know a wrench in Montreal's plans but I think Wilfred Nancy's been around for five years now so he's got that experience and I mean their squad they built well I like that you mentioned Toy I was going to bring him up as well like a a young goal scorer from from Minnesota that didn't really fit in they they signed a couple players there to try and you know make Toy more comfortable but it didn't work out comes to Montreal as well Kamal Miller the young Canadian who was kind of a starter on Orlando played a little bit of left back was not as more comfortable position he's more of a center back I find so um, a good pickup there, a frugal one just around the expansion draft, I think, is I believe Austin selected them or something like that. Something happened in the draft. So a couple good pickups. I like their very young team, Wanyama and Pieter, are just formidable. Probably two of the best midfield duos or one of the best midfield duos, I should say, in MLS, given how, how experienced they are. But that's just my opinion of them, and hopefully they can get it done um, the rest of the season going forward after this weekend, that is. Yeah, um, I, something came to mind when you mentioned um, the fact that Thierry Henry left um, left Montreal, and then the oh, the name escapes me now. The Toronto coach also left to go to LA. Um, Greg Vanny. Vanny. There we go. I knew Greg. Oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, so Greg. Yeah, yeah, my friend Greg. Uh, <laughs> Whitecaps are the only Canadian team that kept their coach, and I wonder how much of that comes down to the fact that you're being asked to live in a foreign country like uh it's like today for example in in mark DeSantos's press conference he said yeah kyle alexandre has never been to vancouver <laughs> you know like mm-hmm. he plays for vancouver but he's never been to vancouver um I, I just thought that could be that that was kind of interesting that the strain being pushed on the coaching staff who have to live away from their family um might have been a factor in those two coaches uh leaving their role who, who knows but um, I'm sure, yeah, as you know, Greg Vanny has ended up in L.A., Thierry Henry will probably get a, a pretty decent job somewhere in Europe, so they'll be fine. But uh, just an interesting note there. Um, Gideon, I, I wanted to talk about Montreal's formation. Now, I've been looking at this all day, and I can't really understand <laughs> what it's about. So it's a 3-4-1-2, according to who scored, the, the website who scored. So three central defenders... I guess wing backs with a midfield diamond or yeah, a midfield triangle. Um, and then two strikers up front. Now the two strikers up front are clearly working because they, as you said, they've scored six goals so far this season. The midfield looks solid with a, like a nice balance between uh, defending and attacking. So they have PS and Wanyama sissing and then uh, uh, Jordi Mihailovic attacking. But I guess the gaps on the on the flanks with those wing backs uh, is why they're conceding so many goals, four goals already uh, this season. Yeah, it, you know I don't think that Tiran we would have had the the guts to pull this off um, in in his tenure. Um, I think he had the personnel to not do that, but it's kind of a four three two sort of. I mean, I, I sorry, can, four I can, three one, but yeah. it's just 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think it boils down to them having like a plethora of center backs. You have Struna, Camacho, Miller, Waterman as well. And a couple other youngsters. Uh, Basong, I believe, is a, either outside back or center back. So there's a lot of good quality in this team. And I mean, sometimes that's good. Other times it means that you're going to have to play players out of position to keep them happy or, you know, different formations. And I think that's kind of the problem right now for Montreal. But take nothing away from Kiza and, and Broguer. Those are two quality outside young, speedy players. So. I mean, it's helping them goal scoring wise, but it's leaving them very, very open at the back, as is alluded to by those the goals given up early on in the season in the four and the three games. Yeah, and I think the the weakness you can kind of see with that formation is in the flanks. Um, when the wing backs might have to push up to support an attack, then the gaps would open up. Um, so maybe, yeah, when we get to the white cap section, we'll discuss how potentially that can be exploited as well. Um, Gideon, any final thoughts on Montreal before we before we move on? No, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how they um, line up. I haven't fully um, seen them against uh, an opposition this year from start to finish, just kind of watch blurbs of their games. So it'll be interesting to see. And I'm looking forward to seeing Georgia Mihalovic, a good pickup for them in the offseason from Chicago and, and pulling strings in midfield. Yeah, he's a, he's a football manager uh, um, dream to pick up in, <laughs> in football manager. But, but anyway, um, great. So... Uh, we've spoken about uh, the Whitecaps' enemies on the weekend. Now it's time for Gideon and I to become enemies with our weekly stats game. Um, so for those of you who are listening for the first time, uh, Gideon, uh, Gideon and I will quiz each other on three different stats from the 2020 season of the Montreal. They were impact at the time, but I guess CF Montreal um, currently. So for example, I would say... Uh, Rod Fanny had 15 uh, appearances last week. Gideon would guess over or under, and if he guessed over, he would be correct and get a point. If he didn't, he wouldn't get a point. And uh, it's been very tight so far. Yeah, it's been very tight so far this season, and uh, I've had some heartbreaking losses. I've had some soul-lifting victories. No pressure, Gideon, but you will ruin the rest of my week if I don't win. What's okay. today? Wednesday? Yeah, it's only two days. It's fine. That's yeah, true. We're recording on Wednesday, so there's yeah. also time to turn it around. So, Gideon, would you like to lay the three stats on me first? Sure, I'd love to. Okay. Um, over or under, Boyan led the team with 10 goals. Under, surely. Four. Oh, okay. Wait. Okay. <laughs> 10 was a bit high. A little bit of a high ball. Well, you know, I, I thought I'd shoot for the stars on that one. Yeah. Um, Okay, Samuel Piet had two red cards last season. Under? And one. Okay, okay. good. Two for two. So and, far. yep, and Evan Bush played the most games in the Montreal net last season. Uh, I guess I'll go false slash under. Yes. Good, okay. good, uh, good guess. Very nice. There's no pressure, Gideon, but you have to go three for three. Uh, yeah, I, I, I figured that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Good round for you. Our favorite player, Joel Washerman, had uh, six appearances last season, over or under? I'm going to say over. Yeah, he had 10. Uh, Victor Wanyama had one goal, over or under? I think it was under. I think he had one. He had two. Does that mean he had two? Oh, damn it. All good. Let's go for the consolation. Uh, Romel Kioso had 21 appearances. Ooh, I'm going to say over. Over, you're right. So 3-2 victory for me. No hard feelings, Gideon. Um, but you can send a bottle of champagne to my address, which I'll text you later. Easy now. The yeah. budget on AFTN's HR <laughs> AFTN's HR budget is running low at the moment, if, if any. So we've got to be careful with that. But yes, I'll be sure to send that to your house. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, great. So uh, thanks for participating in the game, Gideon. Um, before we get into our Whitecaps chat, uh, Michael had a chance to talk to the latest Whitecaps player, homegrown player, uh, I think local Vancouver area uh, graduate also, Kam Habibdullah. Um, I've been practicing that all day and then I screwed it up. But yeah, he, he had a chat with Cam about signing his contract. Um, I think signing his contract the same day that he made his debut. 
what he's learned, what his goals are, all that exciting stuff from a really exciting player. So let's go to Michael now. Congratulations, Cam, in, on signing your, your contract with the first team. It's been a long journey for you, I know. Just how, how are you feeling just right now at this moment in time? First off, thank you. Of course, coming up from the academy is like the best thing you can get. It's the one thing that everyone works for, and it's, it's finally nice to have all that work pay off, but you can't stop working. You have to keep on going even harder now. I mean, you've been with the first team throughout this pre-season. I, I know you've been involved with under-23s as, as well as the academy and everything. Um, when did you find out that you were getting offered a, a deal by the club? I think it was before traveling to Utah. It was after one of the preseason games down in Vancouver. Uh, and of course, hearing it, it's, it's a nice feeling because it's like another step in your career and it's a big step that you can take. So I'm thankful it happened. I'm thankful for the coaches. And, you know. It's just to start, like, uh, I'm sure you heard that many, many times, but... Yeah, uh, you've long been spoken of, though, as being kind of a rising talent in the club. People's been expecting you, I guess, to, to sign a homegrown deal at, at some point sooner rather than later. There's been talk as well of maybe, like, overseas interest. What made you feel, though, that the Whitecaps were the team that you wanted to be with now at the next stage of your career? Just growing up in, in Vancouver and playing in the academy, like pretty much for a long time, ever since like, all my teen years, it's kind of like just what you want. You know, you want to play in front of your home uh, home city fans, you know, make them happy. And once the opportunity came, I, I didn't say no. I, I want to take it and I want to use it, uh, you know. Now, you've, you've been with the Caps since you, you were 12 years old. At, at what point did you really believe that you had what it took to, to turn professional and make it in the pro game well to say that i think the coaches knew when the right moment was and i think the right moment was now and i'm happy it happened i mean you always play with confidence with uh self-confidence with bravery and you're always thinking that you know you know yourself you know you know what you have you know your abilities your confidence in them and that doesn't mean that you're ready for pro anytime it just you're always confident in your abilities and Whenever the coaches think you're ready is when you're ready and you take your step. Now, you came through the academy, obviously, with your brother Masood. Can you talk a little bit just about your relationship with him? How, how much did the two of you kind of push each other when you were growing up? We actually like started playing soccer together at the same time. So, And us being so close in age is really helpful because we'd always go to the field together. We'd always train together. And we took like each step kind of together. And I'd always be playing with him, even though he's older. I'd always be in that older team and we'd always just... We've, we've always had love for the game and just that brought us even closer. And I think we were a really close, nice relationship. And I think him also being in the academy with me also pushed me a lot because I get to play with him. We get to have fun. We get to play. We get to get better every day. It's just a nice feeling, you know. And then what's your family's reaction been like to, to you signing this deal and also to, to actually now making your debut that, that you did at the weekend? I guess they're super excited for you. Yeah, of course. They're, they're really proud. I mean... They've, they've, they've been waiting for this moment and I think that now it's finally come. They're really, they're really happy for me. They're really proud. But like, I always tell them that it's just the beginning. Like, you know, it's not, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to be comfortable. It's, of course, it's something you want. And now that it's out the way, it, that's one check mark. There's a, there's a bunch more to go. So you've got that debut made. So the longer it goes on before you, you get on the pitch, I guess the nerves are going to get up and you're going to be like a little bit of self-doubt, but I mean, added to the squad on Sunday afternoon, made your debut briefly on Sunday night. I know it's not the result that the team would have wanted, but what was going through your mind when you're sitting on the bench? Like, did Mark kind of let you know that he'd probably be giving you minutes or did it just come as a bit of a shock? And how did you find the whole experience? Of course, it was a great experience. Firstly, getting in the roster and, experiencing that was nice but of course you want to get in of course you want to get minutes and I, i'm really thankful that they gave me the opportunity it was kind of it happened so quick they called me over and like i got in the field in less than like a minute so i mean of course you don't want it to be too long because you like you said nerves but i don't know i don't i think once i stepped in the field the nerves kind of went away and i was just pretty excited so that's 
that's that's what got me going. Yeah, I mean, you certainly you didn't look nervous out there, and it looked like you. It looked like you belonged on the pitch, which is all you can really want when you're making your your debut. Obviously, it's a strange season. You can't make appearances in front of family and friends just now. You're down in Utah. I know you've been away with the Canadian team before, but I guess, is this like the longest that you've kind of been away from your family? Yeah, for sure. It's the longest. I have been away with the Canadian team, like you said, for I think around a month, but for sure... Just the way things are going, it's going to be the longest. I mean, how how hard is it, like for a young guy to to adjust it to that? Like you're away from family, you're away from friends. What, what do the the club do to kind of help support the younger guys on the team? Uh, well, just being young and away, it's, it sucks because you don't have your family there. You don't have the food. You don't have the just the feeling to know that you're with your family. You know, like the security. I know when you come home. But of course, the club always helps in different ways. They get us places. They organize us with things to do. Got to make sure we're eating properly. You know, just taking care of ourselves like pros should do. So, you know, the the club the club does a lot, and we're really thankful for what they do for the young guys. Now we've we've talked about you coming through with the academy, and I know you were playing at the higher age group. You're playing with the nineteens when you could have been with the seventeens, and then you've had some time as well with the under twenty threes. What's been the kind of biggest challenges and the, the biggest changes that, that you've seen to, to you and your game as you've kind of moved up through the ranks? No, I think playing with older guys always seems like a big challenge, but I think you've always got to be yourself. You know, you're always going to have that confidence. You're always going to have that bravery to, to use, to play within your abilities. I mean, of course, it's, when you get older, you have less time to do things, but you just have to adapt as quick as you can. And I think... The biggest thing is confidence. When you have confidence, I think any you can do anything. And even when you mess up, you get up, you do it again. You know, you keep going until you finally get that one. Because who knows, that one might be something uh, really like big. You know, so. I mean, it's obviously it's a big difference physicality-wise. Never mind anything else. Going from like the youth game into the the adult game on the pitch on on Sunday, and you've you've played preseason. Like, have you noticed a, a big difference? I mean, of course, there's a difference. People are bigger, people, much bigger, much faster. The game's much faster than you're younger. When you're younger, you kind of have more time to do things. You could just stand on the ball for a little bit. But here, you gotta you gotta think quick. You gotta do quick. Whatever you do, you gotta do at high speed. But I mean, I don't I don't really think about that too much. I don't I don't see size or age or any of that as like a big uh, dif- differentiator. I think. The main thing, like I said, is just I'm confident in myself and I know what I can do and I just want to go out there whenever I get the chance and do do it to the best of my ability. At MLS as well, it's it's quite a it's becoming a young league. There's lots of homegrown guys and squads around the league. There's a lot of them getting opportunities. There's a lot of them as well doing really well. Like even like down in San Jose, you've got Cade Cowell that's lighting it up. Some of the teams in the East got some good guys. But by being in a league where you know that you are going to get opportunities, do you feel that's an important part in making the decision to to start off in MLS? No, oh, yeah, MLS. I think especially this year, a lot more young players are coming up. Uh, the league's not just getting bigger, but a lot of bigger players are coming to the league as well. And I think it, the league overall is just growing, and a lot more people are looking at the league. And I think it's just right now. I thought it was the best best thing to do, and come in here and do my best and try to get as many minutes as I can and try to show show everyone what I can do and help the team. Uh, when you see a guy like Alfonso Davies having come through the Whitecaps, getting eyes on him, moving on, it must make you excited because you know with him, like DK that's gone, some of the other guys, there's a lot of eyes around the world on the league. So, I mean, you must know that if you do well, the chance of a, a big move could come along one day. Yeah, of course. Looking... Being a young player and seeing Alfonso make that move is for sure inspirational. I think it opens, it shows us that the pathway is there. And I think now it's just up to me doing the work, up to me showing up every day. Even when times are bad, just fighting through and pushing myself to the best. Like I said, I think confidence is the biggest key. Yeah. With confidence, you, like I said, you can do anything. So I hope to take a path like him. And then I'm just going to keep on working and see what happens. So we, we've had a brief glimpse of you on, on Sunday, pre-season as well. I, I've seen you play a couple of times in, in the academy. 
But for anyone that hasn't really seen you play, what what can fans expect from you? What do you bring to the team? What do you bring to the the pitch? I think the main thing I just I wanna I wanna help the team however I can. I wanna I want the fans to know that I'll always give my all and always be working, always be dedicated, committed, even when things aren't going well. I'll still have my work ethic there. And I think when I'm on the ball, I just I, I just wanna make them enjoy the game, you know. Just do my best, do what I do. Hopefully they like it. I, I was speaking to Mark uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we, we're actually talking about yeah. I brought the subject of you up, and we're talking about the the young guys. And I mean, he he acknowledged the, the good prospect, but that you are. He said that maybe one of the big things you're going to have to work on now at this level is through the academy, through the youth games. You've touched on it. You get more time on the ball. He, he feels that you maybe hold on to the ball a little bit too long, which you probably can't do as much in the adult game. Do you feel that's a, a fair critique? And how tough is it going to be to to get used to like maybe get, getting rid of the ball quicker and not trying to do everything yourself? No, I think I think Mark's right. I think when I was younger, for sure, I dribbled way more. I would try dribbling with the whole team sometimes. But, of course, it's, it's it gets harder as you get older. But... I know me and Mark, Mark always talks to me and tells me about how to improve my next the next step in my game, which is finding that that pass or that final kind of product and not always dribbling. But when I see it, like I think I just need to take it with high speed confidence. And I, I don't when I going into the MLS, I don't see it as a big difference. But for sure, there's times where I'm going to have to move it quicker. For sure, there's times where I'm going to have to be smarter. But for sure, there's also going to be times where I can dribble and express myself. And you've you've played against world players. You're away at, at the the World Cup with Canada, at the under seventeens in twenty nineteen. You featured in all three games. I know it wasn't the results that maybe Canada wanted, but how did you find that that whole experience? Well, uh, I mean, of course, that's an experience that every kid that age would want. I think just playing in front of all those fans against Brazil, even though we lost. The nice feeling it makes you more motivated to become a pro it makes you more motivated to play in big stadiums travel the world play in front of fans make the fans happy but no if, like i it was two years ago and i could it feels like yesterday i mean i could still remember it each moment and i think all these experiences not just that one but there's been a lot more where i take with me and, and it affects me on the field but it affects me off the field i grow both both ways what what's mark's advice been to you for this season I guess as well you're working a lot with Ricardo Clark and he's a guy that's been in the league for a while and he's seen a lot of young guys come through what's their advice that they've given you now for, for your first season is it just to, to just be you just enjoy yourself just take in as much as you can yeah I mean they gave me advice day in day out every day in training to help me to try to do their best to help me and I'm thankful for that I mean they always tell me the main thing they kind of tell me is step by step you know it's not just one day you do this and the next day you do that. It's a process and it's, it's, it's better to not have expectations Kind of just do your thing, work hard, show up every day. Don't give up, keep pushing, you know? And um, I think with all these things, uh, like, like they said, like they tell me every day, step by step, it'll come because it's a process. And when you put in all the small stuff, you'll get the outcome later. Now, whenever I speak to any of the, the younger guys that signed, I, I always ask this, and you don't have to go into specifics because I know it's quite a, a personal thing, but obviously you're going to have goals for, for this season. There's going to be things that, that you're looking to do. You've already checked off getting the contract. You've checked off making your debut. Is there any of the goals that you feel comfortable in sharing that, that you have for this year? I'd say the main goal is do whatever I can, whatever role I play to help the team. And get as many points as we can, and the main, the end goal is to make the playoffs and have a good run in that. I think as a team, you always want the best for the team, even as a player. Like you look at all the individual stuff, but you don't get the individual stuff without your teammates, without your team. So I think the team's the biggest thing. And of course, you have individual goals. I mean, of course, I want to get more minutes. I want to get solid, like get a spot, like they said, step by step. Um, I want to score, I want to assist, but those are all like personal goals that. They'll, they'll soon come out, but I think it's step by step. So, oh, that's great. Thank you so much for doing this, Cam. Congratulations on, on, on signing your deal as well. 
it's great to see you you coming through the ranks the way you have. We've watched you for a couple of years now. You've obviously been a, a talent. Just go out there and show them what you can do in the pitch. Thank you. Thanks That's for having me. That was our very own Michael McCall talking to Cam Gideon. He had a very good few minutes. I think he showed a little bit of an experience, but also had some very exciting play in the, I think, five minutes or so that he had against Colorado. Yeah, I applaud the move, move rather by um, Mark Dos Santos to put Cam Habibula on. Um, I think he, you know, in a, in a different situation, you don't usually see guys you know, that and experience make debuts in regular season games early on in the year. But I really applaud the the effort by Marco Santos to 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 play him um in a game where you're trying to get back in the, the match. And um yeah, I, I thought he played well. He was kind of soloed out in the wing by Colorado. They didn't get much of the ball, but I think he he'll look dangerous. He did switch to the other side a couple of times and use his flashes of speed. So Someone to watch, I think, this season for the Whitecaps is in the future as well, too. Yeah, and, and in terms of like prospects that you would have on the bench that you would want to bring on, quickly he jumps up to like top of the list, you know, for as an impact sub. Um, yeah, he, it was a hard situation to get dropped into, you know, on uh, last weekend when the Whitecaps really needed a goal. Um, but yeah, exciting career ahead for that young man. Um, Gideon, in terms of tactics for the Whitecaps, we've seen three games with the 4-4-2. Do you think that the Whitecaps will stick with that this weekend? I think so. Um, there is some weaknesses in Montreal where you, you, as we've just mentioned, you could definitely break down. I think it starts with splitting the center backs. I think the Whitecaps will try and penetrate uh, in behind the Montreal line with um, either over the top or direct on the floor or on the deck uh, deliveries just because – they're so spread out. We've seen in years past teams coming to BC place with three center backs and the Whitecaps is ripping them apart with chances, not, you know, creating goals, but um, just creating opportunities and speed and just maneuvering around them. It's easy to break down three center backs. It's also really easy to get overwhelmed and not create chances. So it's a fine line of what personnel you have, but I think they will stick with the four, four, two and, um, they need to be as, just as defensive as they are offensive in this game. I think Montreal's a dangerous team. They're they're fast, so they have to be careful. Yeah, I, I think the, the greatest opportunity for the Whitecaps uh, in terms of formation also ties into their the greatest threat against them that Montreal pose. By, by that I mean, with the 4-4-2, you have a winger and a fullback up against the wingback of Montreal if they do stick with that 3-4 um one two formation right so uh gutierrez or or uh Nerwinski slash gaspar overlapping would cre- would automatically create a an overload right um the mm-hmm. trade-off there is that you have an experienced dynamic midfield of wanyama ps and uh Mihailovic up against either um bikel and baldissimo or you know, uh, Kyle Alexandre in there as well. Like it, it, a not very um, tested midfield who have gotten overrun a little bit so far up to this point. Um, I think we need to stick a midfielder in there to, to cover. Um, so, you know, maybe a 4-5-1 would be more um, suited or a 4-4-1-1 kind of thing. Do you see what I mean, Gideon, about that... that uh, off balance nature in the midfield there. Yeah, and I think it's always a balance going up against an uneven numbered backline, like in this sense of three five two or five three two or whatever. Like you're either way, you're going to be too overloaded or not enough um, supported on the sides. And I think I, I see where you're coming from. I don't think, however, you 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 cater to that situation. I think you stick with what's been sort of working. I mean, the goals will come, probably come from the bench at the end of the game when you tire Montreal out by having Tybert out on the left and then he's able to cover, kind of switch in and make it a 4-3-3. Yeah. Kind of get, yeah, you know, so he kind of slides in alongside what have you, Bikel or Alexandre or Wusu if he's fit. I don't think it'll start. So just kind of compressing in and then once they get the ball, Tybert kind of goes back out, Casado and Dahomey will split and then Cavallini will make the runs to the middle. So 
don't know if that paints a picture for everybody listening or, or you, Joe, but just you have the personnel on the field to make it uh, 4-3-2 or 4-5-1. Um, but I think you don't cater to the, or change the formation to meet this Montreal attack. I think you just have the first, the right personnel on the field to counteract their opportunities and their uh, possession. Yeah, no, that's the, the Tybert thing makes a lot of sense. So having him in his left wing role slide into midfield if there is kind of a outnumbering situation. What, what I'm worried about then is how does that change Gutierrez's um, role and does it reduce his effectiveness because he's been great so far this season? You know, it's kind of this domino effect that, um, that would start. The, the other thing too, which I'd love to hear your opinion on, Gideon, is Tybert was probably, for my money, the worst player on the Whitecaps team uh, last week, which isn't terrible because the Whitecaps, I think, played okay. But I, I just felt he didn't, he didn't bring too much to the, t- to the game last weekend. If, if the Whitecaps did want to swap him out, they're also limited in options in that position, right? Yeah, and I think you hit the nail on the head there, Joe. Like, as usual, you, you have somebody that wasn't performing as well. This guy has been with the club for so long. It's like, do you keep rewarding him with opportunities or do you swap him out? And if you do swap him out, who do you have to replace him? Like, you don't want to have Ryan Raposo and Christian Gutierrez, who I like to call Frodo Baggins, because he likes to just go on adventures on the left flank. <laughs> um, you know, just which are, they're good runs, but sometimes in these kind of games and like Colorado, where Rosenberg, the right back, is very offensive-minded. You need to have that coverage. And I think that's why MDS has Tyburn in there and usually takes them off in about the 65th minute to bring on a guy like Raposo to kind of have that coverage early on in the game. Mm-hmm. But in the nitty-gritty, and I think going forward, I don't think we'll see Tyburn in that role if we have Alexandre, Awusu, Bikel, Baldiso, like all these embarrassment of riches in midfield. If you're not going to play well, and MDS has said this before, even Bear not being in the 18 last weekend, you're not going to be rewarded with opportunities. So I think it's, it's an interesting question you posed. Um, I hope I, you know, answered it to what I could just, you have to be careful of, of who you're playing on the field, but you also can't put on start a guy like Raposa or Javi Bula who just, you know, wouldn't know worse for where the positioning in this kind of game, because it's just a different formation from Montreal that they're putting out in this match. Yeah. I think the only person I would put in there would be Javi Bula um, because he's, he seemed very direct and that's just completely different to what the Whitecaps had but maybe that's a step too far we get into intangibles at this point right like you take time mm-hmm. out of the team then you lose his leadership and organization and his work race and all that kind of a thing so it's not like it's not like it's a it's a all positive thing it could be a zero-sum game situation uh, another thing another note I want to make about um, the midfield was that Valdissimo last week made a good pass when he came on, but I thought was very poor other than that. I know it's very trendy to praise everything that he does at the moment, but I, I did think that was one of his less effective uh, performances. So I really hope that was just a blip and it uh, wasn't a sign of things to come, I guess. With the attacking drought that we're seeing in open play, Gideon, any ideas on you know changes that the team could make to to spark that a bit? Like we... We talk about Cavallini, Caicedo, and Dahomey and how they can work together. What would you do around those three to maybe increase their productivity in open play? I think we saw it on, on Sunday. I think it was the 20th minute or whenever the Whitecaps foray was into the Colorado half in the first half of the game was when Caicedo had that open net opportunity that kind of got blocked. He probably should have scored, but you get what I'm getting at with him kind of creating danger, not necessarily making those direct runs, just supporting Cavallini, running in for those second balls in the box, the drop downs off headers, like just supporting Dahomey and Casado are, are definitely not going to score a header off the box, but it's about them kind of cleaning up the scraps, if you will, the, the kitchen sink in and around the six yard box and just kind of making those direct runs out from the wings into the box to support Cavallini and then having those crosses whipped in by Gutierrez and hopefully Gashbar making his debut his full start debut, whipping them in. If um, if that sounds correct or is easy to describe, um, yeah, yeah. There, there's not really a creative option, I guess. But it, you, you're not going to sign a player by this weekend. But you have to fix the problem internally, and I think that comes from you know 60-40, like having defensive 60% of the game 
offensive 40 or first half of the game is defensive last half of the game is um, defensive that kind of thing yeah yeah they call that um uh minimizing the game so like i I know it's a common thing in like world cups and things like that so Mm -hmm. like let's say you're a team a smaller team like in iceland or you know iran or someone like that quite often you defend for 60 minutes and then try everything in the last half hour Mm-hmm. So you try and get a result, like uh, it increases your odds, I guess. But that's yeah, an interesting thought. Um, what, one thing MDS mentioned on his pre- in his press conference today, so Wednesday, was he wanted the people on the wing to get the ball into the box quicker. So his point was that by the time they cross the ball in up to this point in the season, the defenders are set and they're facing away from the goal and you know, it's hard to find a gap. The cross has to be perfect and the player has to be in the right position. He wants his wide players to get the ball in before the defense is set as they're backing into, like, as they're still running back to their goal. Um, I think he mentioned that because it's clearly something they've worked on. It'll be really interesting, Gideon, to see if the team take it to heart. It's kind of these, one of these rare moments where we can uh, measure how well a team is carrying out something the coach has clearly asked them to work on during the week. Yeah, I, mean, I totally see where he's coming from, not just, you know, from Whitecaps standpoint with the open play matter. But I mean, anybody who's ever played the game of soccer knows that when you're crossing a ball in, when the defender's running towards their goal, it's when they're most likely to make a mistake or make an Ill, ill-timed or ill-positioned header where you kind of flick your, your head away and the ball kind of just lands either in the area or, you, you know, you get a corner out of it, which is nine times out of ten what happens, the defender just heads it either back to the goalie or to the right or to the left of the goal for a corner. So it's dangerous. I think that's definitely something they can capitalize on, given the, the excellent service of Adnan, Gutierrez, Gashpar, and sometimes Norwinsky. So um, it's definitely something that I would like to see them do, and I think anybody who's ever played knows that. It's most um, dangerous attacking-wise when the defender is facing their goal and they're more likely to make a poor header or clearance. Oh, you haven't seen me defend those, Gideon. Um... <laughs> Are you saying you fall when you try to hit? I don't know what you're getting at, John. Oh, no, own goals. <laughs> oh, right. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to make that dark, but it could <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> um, yeah. Before we finish up the section, Gideon, um, in terms of individuals in and out of the lineup, anything that you anticipate being wildly different from the starting 11 we've seen so far? I hope Gashbar makes his, makes his full debut. I'm not sure his fitness status coming into the weekend, but... I mean, he's peered twice off the bench, um, and I think he's looked decent. I think he's kind of been thrown in under the water, water with the quarantine new team right away, only been with the team for three weeks now. So I hope he makes a debut, and I um, I don't think Owusu or Baldi's more fit to play, so we're not stuck with the same midfield, but probably going to be similar to the weekend. So I don't see any other personnel changing. Maybe Cornelius and Rose will swap, but... Um, other than that, I think that's going to be the same personnel as, as Sunday. Yeah, and maybe Godoy too, but I'm, I'm not sure exactly what his... I, yeah, I don't think he's... as I think he's kind of in the same boat as uh, Wusu. He trained, but I don't think he's fit to play. But again, like, there's nothing bad that anyone did. It's just they didn't play great, but it's not like they gave up a weak goal. Like, it was just a fantastic free kick by Diego Rubio. So nothing, take nothing away from the defending in that game. Yeah. Well, uh, the listeners have heard two people who don't know what they're talking about uh, up to this point. Maybe it's time we listen to someone who actually does know what they're talking about. Mark Santos. Uh, facing Vancouver this week, uh, Crepo is playing well. You obviously know him well from, from his time with, with Montreal. Uh, your team is coming off a game in which it did not score. Uh, what's the key to beating him and and just uh, facing Vancouver in general, please? So the the yeah, Crepo, I know him since uh, eleven years old. So it's a uh, it's a good kid. I'm happy uh, for you for him, sorry, because he's doing a good job uh, in Vancouver. So no, we have to focus on us, and um, we did a really good game against Columbus. So we analyzed what we could have done better. And uh, I think that offensively, we need to be more composed to finish the action. So we work uh, a lot on that uh, this week. And uh, we have to keep going what we did, uh, what we've done before in terms of uh, performance, because uh, I'm pretty happy with what we did. And uh, 
we have to uh, finalize a little bit better. So we know that Vancouver, it's a team who like to uh, to play sometimes or play direct. So again, if we if we give them the ball, they're going to be able to play. So we need to be uh, to be us. Means that uh, uh, try to defend well and forward. And uh, when we have the ball, we have to be uh, good on the ball to be able to score goals and also to defend well with the ball. You've been quite stingy in the first few games of the season. How do you keep that up against uh, Vancouver this weekend? Yeah, because um, the players have the desire to, uh, to defend well individually. So I think that uh, they did a pretty good job. And uh, yes, we struggled a bit uh, against Nashville about that. But uh, the objective, again, this is the same. We had a very good discussion with the, with the, with the player about this situation that uh, we have to defend as a team and uh, we have to attack as a team. And the more we're going to be able to get this attitude, the more it's going to be better for us to uh, avoid those, uh, goals against us. So this is a day-to-day work and uh, we keep going with that. Going from the heat and humidity of Orlando, your guys have been prepared, their bodies are used to that. Going into the altitude of Utah, do you think that's going to have an impact on the match? It's going to be an impact. It's going to be an impact. So we know that. So we have a strategy uh, to avoid to get uh, too much uh, impacted. I don't know if I can say that in English, but... uh, so the objective, yes, we know that. We discussed about that and uh, the players knows. We had a couple of players that they already uh, played in uh, Stock Lake, so they know. So we're going to be able to, uh, to be... Uh, all the players going to help us because they know uh, with some of them they played already, so we'll see. But again, it's going to be a, a bigger factor. But we'll see. We'll see after the game. Hey there, Mark. You've had a couple of days now to to kind of look over, well, I guess a day, to, to look over the, the game on Sunday. A- any different thoughts that, that you've taken out of it? Or where do you feel the game was maybe lost? Yeah, no, I. Uh, it, it's easier to speak about the game uh, two, three days later. Uh, we... We think that we created enough opportunities to at least tie the game. You know, there's three big opportunities uh, out of corner kicks and two uh, in the run of play and that they better created. Um, I think there we we had to score at least one of them. Um, I think that uh, the, 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 the penalty shot on Caio, the foul on Caio that led to the call on the penalty shot uh, is is I would say a little bit disturbing that it's Alan Chapman that called it, and he said it was a clear and obvious error. I don't I, we don't see that at all. Um, you know, it's the the rules are clear. It needs to be clear and obvious. And he, Alan called the referee uh, to look at the VAR in a play to almost question if he had to send off. Uh, Lucas Cavallini and then he, he he called to take the penalty shot away I think uh, it's not the first time that we have incidents like that with with Alan and uh, I just think that right now it was time for me to say something publicly because it's not the first time it looks like there's something that maybe is not comfortable with us or or I don't know um I think that uh, we had to do a better job dealing with transition moments. Uh, Colorado, it was a team that is very quick in transition and we had to take the space away quicker. Um, And that's where they were dangerous against us. And um, I I think that the team improved so much uh, in the last year on retaining possession. Uh, in the opponent's half, having the ball in the opponent's half. We expand ourselves because of our possession, but then we have to grow in our movements to create opportunities to unbalance defenses that are are set right now. We find much more solutions when we're in transition moments uh, than when we're set in our possession, that it's more difficult to uh, unlock blocks. Um, but again, I thought we did enough to at least get a point in the game that we didn't get, but 
um, right after the game, we we were very uh, focused already of, uh, on preparing the game against Montreal. I don't want to dwell, obviously, too much on the refereeing, but when a referee's been called over by VAR and has already overruled VAR, it does take quite a ballsy referee to then do that for a second time in the game. Do you feel that maybe played into it? Maybe, but uh, for me, uh, VARS talks a lot. The wording is very clear. It has to be a clear and obvious error. It's it's like that. Uh, FIFA states it like that. It's incredibly clear. And uh, it's not clear and obvious. So the decision of the ref has to stay. Uh, for me, what's uncomfortable, it's a lot with Alan. And I... If I see him in the street, I'm going to be nice with him, good with him, but I don't understand. It's a lot of calls like that. Even the sending off a very Godoy last year in San Jose was with him and um, Eric got sent off and then we appeal it and we were right in our appeal and we won the appeal and it's not the first time. So if it was with different scenarios and different people, when it's when it's always the same, I start to to become a little bit, it's weird for me. I'm just saying, look, I don't want to say anything to get in trouble, but I'm going to say this. It's very weird for me um, that it's, it's always the same person. And man, if he saw that it's a clear and obvious when Acosta has his hands all over Caio, he has his hands all over Caio. And then that's not a foul, but the foul of Bikel that led to a free kick for Rubio, it's a foul. You know, it's... Um, look, but that's another part of the game. I told you about the chances we missing uh, we missed. I told you about when we're building in the opponent's half, we have to be better on getting around them and creating goal situations. I told you about dealing with transitions when we're playing a team that is lower and we're higher on the field and they're more of a counter-attacking team. But um, also part of the game was calls that were not not good. Moving on then from that, you talked about chances created. It, it did feel a couple of times, especially some crosses that Deber sent into the box, that the midfield maybe weren't attacking those crosses as much as they should. Towards the end of the game, there was a ball that came in and there was yeah. nobody really attacking the box. Is that a big thing you need to kind of work on now looking forward to Montreal? Yeah, but uh, Michael, not only the 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 the, the runners in the box, I, I also think that uh, we've been crossing a lot when defences are set and when defenses are set, it's easier. They face the ball. It's easier to defend. Um, we have to be uh, more aggressive in the type of balls that we put in when defenses are not set. That means when they're running towards their goal, if we could play balls around them and behind them, we're not doing that enough. We're trying to, we have a lot of the ball in the opponent's half. We've been doing well in possession. We, I think we've outpossessed um Portland and it, for sure we outpossess Colorado or we're, we improved in the amount of passes we have in the opponent's half but now when we get in those spots we need to attack them when they're not set uh defending their box and trying to be more patient on the ball looking for the pass that is going to allow us to get in behind them we're we're looking too much for the perfect ball when they're already set and sometimes when you attack defenses that are not set yet you see uh, balls that you don't need 20 guys in the box you have one guy and that one guy could get into it or you have defenders now attacking their uh, defending attacking their goal and now you have own goals you have balls that lead to corner kicks Look, we've improved as a team, but now we have to think about, okay, what's the next level for us in that chapter? Obviously, CF Montreal is a team that is looks entirely different from last season. What have you made about uh, of their start to the year? A similar start to ours. 
but they play a, a different way uh, that we do. Uh, they have um, uh, a lot of experience uh, and they have young players mixed with that experience. A lot of new guys in the league, but we know the qualities of the new guys. Uh, we know their strengths. We know their weaknesses. They also know us very well. Um, it's always a, 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 an interesting game and always a, a, a rivalry when you play against any kind of Canadian, any Canadian team. Um, and um, yeah, it's a team. We know their strengths. We know how they are. Uh, we know the new players they brought in. And it's players that we also heard about before. Um, and we have a good idea of how they could come here and try to, to win the game. And we also going to be prepared to win the game us. So, Gideon, um, we're both very excited for the game. What's your prediction for the scoreline? I know I got it close two weeks ago when I said 2-1 Whitecaps and then I went, the ball went off all these middle space. So um, that was unfortunate. This week, um, I think I'm going to go with one nothing Whitecaps. I'm oh, going to be I, really close game. I had the same score, one nothing. Let's, let's uh, take it a step further. Who gets the goal? Hmm. Of course, you pose that question. I'm going to say Cavallini. Okay. It'll yeah. probably be a pass from Dahomey to Cavallini or a goal for Dahomey from a pass from Cavallini or something like that. Okay. Yeah. I think Caicedo, if not Cavallini, Caicedo gets his first goal. I think he's kind of like Dahomey last year where he was a little bit frustrated early on in the season not getting a goal. And then once Orlando came around, Dahomey kind of turned on fire. So I think that might be the case. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, hopefully it's a good match for sure. Yeah, with Caicedo, I really think they need to play to his strengths, and they're still trying to work out what those strengths are, but I, I think it's coming. Yeah. Well, very good. Gideon, where can people find you uh, on Twitter to hurl abuse at you? <laughs> at underscore Gideon Hill, not, not own goal. Gideon Hill, that's just at underscore Gideon Hill. <laughs> and you can find me at Joe DC Van. Thank you very much for listening to episode uh, 449 of the AFTN podcast. Enjoy the game. When you're listening in some far-flung corner of the globe to the world service of a Saturday afternoon, friendly reception, interference, cosy, marvellous. Somehow comforting, isn't it? You know, legendary names, fathers and sons on the terraces, cheesy peas at half-time, pipe for dad, mum's at home making the tea. Oh, everything's all right with the world, isn't it? Saturday afternoon is football. Hmm?